Chapter One of The Affair Next Door. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording today by Don Larson in Minnesota. That Affair Next Door by Anna K. Green. Book One Miss Butterworth's Window. Chapter One A Discovery. I am not an inquisitive woman. But when, in the middle of a certain warm night in September, I heard a carriage draw up at the adjoining house and stop, I could not resist the temptation of leaving my bed and taking a peep through the curtains of my window. First, because the house was empty, or supposed to be so. The family still being, as I had every reason to believe, in Europe. And secondly, because not being inquisitive, I often miss in my lonely and single life much that it would be both interesting and profitable for me to know. Luckily, I made no such mistake this evening. I rose and looked out, and though I was far from realizing it at the time, took by so doing my first step in a course of inquiry which has ended. But it is too soon to speak of the end. Rather, let me tell you what I saw when I parted the curtains of my window in Gramercy Park on the night of September 17th, 1895. Not much at first glance, only a common hack drawn up at a neighboring curbstone. The lamp which is supposed to light our part of the block is some rods away on the opposite side of the street, so that I obtained but a shadowy glimpse of a young man and woman standing below me on the pavement. I could see, however, that the woman and not the man was putting money into the driver's hand. The next moment they were on the stoop of this long-closed house, and the coach rolled off. It was dark, as I have said, and I did not recognize the young people. At least their figures were not familiar to me. But when, in another instant, I heard the click of a night key, and saw them, after a rather tedious fumbling at the lock, disappear from the stoop, I took it for granted that the gentleman was Mr. Van Burnham's eldest son, Franklin and the lady some relative of the family, though why this most punctilious member should bring a guest at so late an hour into a house devoid of everything necessary to make the least exacting visitor comfortable, was a mystery that I retired to bed to meditate upon. I did not succeed in solving it, however, and after some ten minutes had elapsed, I was settling myself again to sleep, when I was re-aroused by a fresh sound from the quarter mentioned. The door I had so lately heard shut opened again, and though I had to rush for it, I succeeded in getting to my window in time to catch a glimpse of the departing figure of the young man hurrying towards Broadway. The young woman was not with him, and as I realized that he had left her behind him in the great empty house, without apparent light and certainly without any companion, I began to question if this was like Franklin Van Burnham. Was it not more in keeping with the recklessness of his more easy-natured and less reliable brother Howard, who, some two or three years back, had married a young wife of no satisfactory antecedents, and who, as I had heard, had been ostracized by the family in consequence? Whichever of the two it was, he had certainly shown but little consideration for his companion, and thus thinking I fell off to sleep, just as the clock struck the half-hour after midnight. Next morning, as soon as modesty would permit me to approach the window, 
I surveyed the neighboring house minutely. Not a blind was open, nor a shutter displaced. As I am an early riser, this did not disturb me at the time, but when after breakfast I looked again, and still failed to detect any evidences of life in the great barren front beside me, I began to feel uneasy. But I did nothing until noon, when going into the rear garden, and observing that the back windows of the Van Burnham house were as closely shuttered as the front, I became so anxious that I stopped the next policeman I saw going by, and telling him my suspicions, urged him to ring the bell. No answer followed the summons. "'There is no one here,' said he. "'Ring again,' I begged. And he rang again, but with no better result. "'Don't you see that the house is shut up?' he grumbled. "'We have had orders to watch the place, but none to take the watch off.' "'There is a young woman inside,' I insisted. "'The more I think over last night's occurrence, "'the more I am convinced that the matter should be looked into.' He shrugged his shoulders and was moving away, when we both observed a common-looking woman standing in front looking at us. She had a bundle in her hand, and her face, unnaturally ruddy though it was, had a scared look which was all the more remarkable from the fact that it was one of those wooden-like countenances which under ordinary circumstances are capable of but little expression. She was not a stranger to me, that is, I had seen her before in or about the house in which we were at the moment so interested, and not stopping to put any curb on my excitement, I rushed down to the pavement and accosted her. "'Who are you?' I asked. "'Do you work for the Van Burnhams, and do you know who the lady was who came here last night?' The poor woman, either startled by my sudden address, or by my manner, which may have been a little sharp, gave a quick bound backwards, and was only deterred by the near presence of the policeman from attempting flight. As it was, she stood her ground, though the fiery flush which made her face so noticeable deepened till her cheeks and brow were scarlet. I am the scrub-woman, she protested. I have come to open the windows and air the house, ignoring my last question. Is the family coming home? the policeman asked. I don't know. I think so, was her weak reply. Have you the keys? I now demanded, seeing her fumbling in her pocket. She did not answer. A sly look displaced the anxious one she had hitherto displayed, and she turned away. "'I don't see what business it is of the neighbors,' she muttered, throwing me a dissatisfied scowl over her shoulder. "'If you've got the keys, we will go in and see that things are all right,' said the policeman, stopping her with a light touch. She trembled. I saw that she trembled, and naturally became excited. Something was wrong in the Van Burnham mansion and I was going to be present at its discovery. But her next words cut my hopes short. I have no objection to your going in, she said to the policeman, but I will not give up my keys to her. What right has she in our house anyway? And I thought I heard her murmur something about meddlesome old maids. The look which I received from the policeman convinced me that my ears had not played me false. The lady's right, he declared, and pushing by me quite disrespectfully, led the way to the basement door, into which he and the so-called cleaner presently disappeared. I waited in front. I felt it to be my duty to do so. The various passers-by stopped an instant to stare at me before proceeding on their way, but I did not flinch from my post. 
not till i had heard that the young woman who i had seen enter these doors at midnight was well and that her delay in opening the windows was entirely due to fashionable laziness would i feel justified in returning to my own home and its affairs but it took patience and some courage to remain there several minutes elapsed before i perceived the shutters in the third story open and a still longer time before a window on the second floor flew up and the policeman looked out only to meet my inquiring gaze and rapidly disappear again meantime three or four persons had stopped on the walk near me the nucleus of a crowd which would not be long in collecting and i was beginning to feel i was paying dearly for my virtuous resolution when the front door burst violently open and we caught sight of the trembling form and shocked face of the scrubwoman she's dead she cried she's dead murder and would have said more had not the policeman pulled her back with a growl which sounded very much like a suppressed oath he would have shut the door upon me had i not been quicker than lightning as it was i got in before it slammed and happily too for just at that moment the house-cleaner who had grown paler every instant fell in a heap in the entry and the policeman who was not the man i would want about me in any trouble seemed somewhat embarrassed by this new emergency and let me lift the poor thing up and drag her further into the hall she had fainted and should have had something done for her but anxious though i always am to be of help where help is needed i had no sooner gotten within range of the parlor door with my burden than i beheld a sight so terrifying that i involuntarily let the poor woman slip from my arms to the floor in the darkness of a dim corner for the room had no light save that which came through the doorway where i stood lay the form of a woman under a fallen piece of furniture her skirts and distended arms alone were visible, but no one who saw the rigid outlines of her limbs could doubt for a moment that she was dead. At a sight so dreadful, and in spite of all my apprehensions so unexpected, I felt a sensation of sickness which in another moment might have ended in my fainting also, if I had not realized that it would never do for me to lose my wits in the presence of a man who had none too many of his own so i shook off my momentary weakness and turning to the policeman who was hesitating between the unconscious figure of the woman outside the door and the dead form of the one within i cried sharply come man to business the woman inside there is dead but this one is living fetch me a pitcher of water from below if you can and then go for whatever assistance you need i'll wait here and bring this woman too she is a strong one and it won't take long you'll stay here alone with that he began but i stopped him with a look of disdain of course i will stay here why not is there anything in the dead to be afraid of save me from the living and i'll undertake to save myself from the dead but his face had grown very suspicious you go for the water he cried and see here just call out for some one to telephone the police headquarters for the coroner and a detective i don't quit this room till one or the other of them comes smiling at a caution so very ill-timed but abiding by my invariable rule of never arguing with a man unless i see some way of getting the better of him i did what he bade me though i hated dreadfully to leave the spot and its woeful mystery even for so short a time as was required 
run up to the second story he called out as i passed by the prostrate figure of the cleaner tell them what you want from the window or we will have the whole street in here so i ran upstairs i had always wished to visit this house but had never been encouraged to do so by the mrs van burnam and making my way into the front room the door of which stood wide open i rushed to the window and hailed the crowd which by this time extended far out beyond the curbstone an officer i called out a police officer an accident has occurred and the man in charge here wants the coroner and a detective from police headquarters who's hurt is it a man is it a woman shouted up one or two and let us in shouted others but the sight of a boy rushing off to meet an advancing policeman satisfied me that help would soon be forthcoming so i drew in my head and looked about me for the next necessity water i was in a lady's bedchamber probably that of the eldest miss van burnham but it was a bedchamber which had not been occupied for some months and naturally it lacked the very articles which would have been of assistance to me in the present emergency no eau de cologne on the bureau no camphor on the mantel-shelf but there was water in the pipes something i had hardly hoped for and a mug on the washstand so i filled the mug and ran with it to the door stumbling as i did so over some small object which i presently perceived to be a little round pincushion picking it up for i hate anything like disorder i placed it on a table near by and continued on my way the woman was still lying at the foot of the stairs i dashed the water in her face and she immediately came to sitting up she was about to open her lips when she checked herself a fact which struck me as odd though i did not allow my surprise to become apparent meantime i stole a glance into the parlor the officer was standing where i had left him looking down on the prostrate figure before him there was no sign of feeling in his heavy countenance and he had not opened a shutter nor so far as i could see disarranged an object in the room the mysterious character of the whole affair fascinated me in spite of myself and leaving the now fully aroused woman in the hall i was halfway across the parlor floor when the latter stopped me with a shrill cry don't leave me i have never seen anything before so horrible the poor dear the poor dear why doesn't he take those dreadful things off her she alluded not only to the piece of furniture which had fallen upon the prostrate woman and which can be best described as a cabinet with closets below and shelves above but to the various articles of bric-a-brac which had tumbled from the shelves and which now lay in broken pieces about her he will do so they will do so very soon i replied he is waiting for someone with more authority than himself for the coroner if you know what that means but what if she's alive those things will crush her let us take them off i'll help i'm not too weak to help do you know who this person is i asked for her voice had more feeling in it than i thought natural to the occasion dreadful as it was i she repeated her weak eyelids quivering for a moment as she tried to sustain my scrutiny how should i know i came in with the policeman and haven't been any nearer than i now be what makes you think i know anything about her i'm only the scrub-woman and i don't even know the names of the family i thought you seemed so very anxious i explained suspicious of her suspiciousness 
which was so sly and emphatic a character that it changed her whole bearing from one of fear to one of cunning in a moment. And who wouldn't feel the like of that for a poor creature lying crushed under a heap of broken crockery? Crockery? Those Japanese vases worth hundreds of dollars? That Ormulu clock and those Dresden figures must have been more than a couple of centuries old. It's a poor sense of duty that keeps a man standing dumb and staring like that, when with a lift of his hand he could show us the like of her pretty face, and if it's dead she be, or alive. As this burst of indignation was natural enough and not altogether uncalled for, from the standpoint of humanity, I gave the woman a nod of approval, and wished I were a man myself, that I might lift the heavy cabinet, or whatever it was, that lay upon the poor creature before us. But not being a man, and not judging it wise to irritate the one representative of that sex then present, I made no remark, but only took a few steps farther into the room, followed, as it afterwards appeared, by the scrub-woman. The Van Burnham parlors are separated by an open arch. It was to the right of this arch, and in the corner opposite the doorway, that the dead woman lay. I used my eyes, now that I was somewhat accustomed to the semi-darkness enveloping us. I noticed two or three facts which had hitherto escaped me. One was that she lay on her back with her feet pointing towards the hall door, and another that nowhere in the room save her immediate vicinity were there to be seen any signs of struggle or disorder. All was as set and proper as in my own parlor when it had been undisturbed for any length of time by guests and though I could not see far into the rooms beyond, they were to all appearance in an equally orderly condition. Meanwhile, the cleaner was trying to account for the overturned cabinet. Poor dear, poor dear, she must have pulled it over on herself, but however did she get into the house, and what was she doing in this great empty place? The policeman to whom these remarks had evidently been addressed growled out some unintelligible reply, and in her perplexity the woman turned towards me. But what could I say to her? I had my own private knowledge of the matter, but she was not one to confide in, so I stoically shook my head. Doubly disappointed, the poor thing shrank back, after looking first at the policeman, and then at me in an odd, appealing way, difficult to understand. Then her eyes fell again on the dead girl at her feet, and being nearer now than before, she evidently saw something that startled her, for she sank on her knees with a little cry and began examining the girl's skirts. "'What are you looking at there?' growled the policeman. "'Get up, can't you? No one but the coroner has a right to lay hand on anything here.' "'I'm doing no harm,' the woman protested in an odd, shaking voice. "'I only wanted to see what the poor thing had on.' "'Some blue stuff, isn't it?' she asked me. "'Blue serge,' I answered. "'Store-made, but very good. "'Must have come from Altman's or Stern's.' "'I—I'm not used to sights like this,' stammered the scrub-woman, "'stumbling awkwardly to her feet, "'and looking as if her few remaining wits "'had followed the rest on an endless vacation. "'I—I I think I shall have to go home.' "'But she did not move. "'The poor dear is young, isn't she?' she presently insinuated with an odd catch in her voice that gave to the question an air of hesitation and doubt. 
I think she is younger than either you or myself, I deign to reply. Her narrow pointed shoes show that she has not reached the years of discretion. Yes, yes, so they do, ejaculated the cleaner eagerly, too eagerly for perfect ingenuousness. That's why I said poor dear and spoke of her pretty face. I am sorry for young folks when they get into trouble, ain't you? You and me might lie here and no one be much the worse for it but a sweet lady like this. This was not very flattering to me, but I was prevented from rebuking her by a prolonged shout from the stoop without, as a rush was made against the front door, followed by a shrill peal of the bell. Man from headquarters, stolidly announced the policeman. Open the door, ma'am, or step back into the further hall if you want me to do it. Such rudeness was uncalled for. But considering myself too important a witness to show feeling, I swallowed my indignation and proceeded with all my native dignity to the front door. End of chapter 1 Chapter 2 Questions As I did so, I could catch the murmur of the crowd outside, as it seethed forward at the first intimation of the door being opened but my attention was not so distracted by it, loud as it sounded after the quiet of the shut-up house, that I failed to notice the door had not been locked by the gentleman leaving the night before, and that consequently only the night-latch was on. With a turn of the knob it opened, showing me the mob of shouting boys and the forms of two gentlemen waiting admittance on the doorstep. I frowned at the mob and smiled on the gentleman one of whom was portly and easy-going in appearance, and the other spare, with a touch of severity in his aspect. But for some reason these gentlemen did not seem to me to appreciate the honor I had done them, for they both gave me a displeased glance, which was so odd and unsympathetic in its character that I bridled a little, though I soon returned to my natural manner. Did they realize at the first glance that I was destined to prove a thorn in the sides of everyone connected with this matter for days to come. "'Are you the woman who called from the window?' asked the larger of the two, whose business here I found it difficult at first to determine. "'I am,' was my perfectly self-possessed reply. "'I live next door, and my presence here is due to the anxious interest I always take in my neighbors.' I had reason to think that all was not as it should be in this house, and I was right. Look in the parlors, sirs. They were already as far as the threshold of that room, and needed no further encouragement to enter. The heavier man went first, and the other followed, and you may be sure that I was not far behind. The sight meeting our eyes was ghastly enough, as you know, but these men were evidently accustomed to ghastly sights, for they showed but little emotion. I thought this house was empty, observed the second gentleman, who was evidently a doctor. So it was till last night, I put in, and was about to tell my story, when I felt my skirts jerked. Turning, I found that this warning had come from the cleaner, who stood close beside me. What do you want? I asked, not understanding her and having nothing to conceal. I, she faltered with a frightened air. Nothing, ma'am, nothing. "'Then don't interrupt me,' I harshly admonished her, annoyed at an interference that tended to throw suspicion upon my candor. "'This woman came here to scrub and clean,' I now explained. 
It was by means of the key that she carries that we were enabled to get into the house. I never spoke to her till a half hour ago, at which, with a display of subtlety I was far from expecting in one of her appearance, she let her emotions take a fresh direction, and pointing towards the dead woman, she impetuously cried, "'But the poor child there, ain't you going to get those things off of her?' It's wicked to leave her under all that stuff. Suppose there was life in her. Oh, there's no hope of that, muttered the doctor, lifting one of the hands and letting it fall again. Still, he cast a side look at his companion, who gave him a meaningful nod. It might be well enough to lift this cabinet sufficiently for me to lay my hand on her heart. They accordingly did this, and the doctor, leaning down, placed his hand over the poor bruised breast. "'No life,' he murmured. "'She has been dead for some hours. "'Do you think we had better release the head?' he went on, "'glancing up at the portly man at his side. "'But the latter, who was rapidly growing serious, "'made a slight protest with his finger, "'and turning to me inquired with sudden authority, "'What did you mean when you said that the house had been empty until last night?' "'Just what I said, sir. "'It was empty until about midnight, when two persons—' Again I felt my dress twitched, this time very cautiously. What did the woman want? Not daring to give her a look, for these men were only too ready to detect harm in everything I did, I gently drew my skirt away and took a step aside, going on as if no interruption had occurred. Did I say persons? I should have said a man and a woman drove up to the house and entered. I saw them from my window. You did, murmured my interlocutor who had by this time decided to be a detective. And this is the woman, I suppose, he proceeded, pointing to the poor creature lying before us. Why, yes, of course. Who else can she be? I did not see the lady's face last night, but she was young and light on her feet, and ran up the stoop gaily. And the man, where is the man? I don't see him here. I am not surprised at that. He went very soon after he came, not ten minutes after, I should say. That is what alarmed me and caused me to have the house investigated. It did not seem natural, or like any of the Van Burnhams, to leave a woman to spend the night in so large a house alone. You know the Van Burnhams? Not well, but that don't signify. I know what report says of them. They are gentlemen. But Mr. Van Burnham is in Europe. He has two sons. Living here? No, the unmarried one spends his nights at Long Branch, and the other is with his wife somewhere in Connecticut. And how did the young couple you saw get in last night? Was there anyone here to admit them? No, the gentleman had a key. Ah, he had a key. The tone in which this was said recurred to me afterwards, but at the moment I was much more impressed by a peculiar sound I heard behind me something between a gasp and a click in the throat which came i knew from the scrub-woman and which odd and contradictory as it may appear struck me as an expression of satisfaction though what there was in my admission to give satisfaction to this poor creature i could not conjecture moving so as to get a glimpse of her face i went on with the grim self-possession natural to my character and when he came out he walked briskly away the carriage had not waited for him. Ah, again, muttered the gentleman, picking up one of the broken pieces of china, which lay haphazard about the floor, 
while I studied the cleaner's face, which, to my amazement, gave evidences of a confusion of emotions most unaccountable to me. Mr. Grice may have noticed this, too, for he immediately addressed her, though he continued to look at the broken piece of china in his hand. "'And how come you to be cleaning this house?' he asked. "'Is the family coming home?' "'They are, sir,' she answered, hiding her emotion with great skill, the moment she perceived attention directed to herself, and speaking with a sudden volubility that made us all stare. "'They are expected any day. I didn't know it till yesterday. Was it yesterday? No, the day before, when young Mr. Franklin—he is the oldest son, sir— and a very nice man, a very nice man, sent me word by letter that I was to get the house ready. It isn't the first time I have done it for them, sir, and as soon as I could get the basement key from the agent, I came here and worked all day yesterday, washing up the floors and dusting. I should have been at them again this morning if my husband hadn't been sick. But I had to go to the infirmary for medicine, and it was noon when I got here. And then I found this lady standing outside with a policeman, a very nice lady, a very nice lady indeed, sir. I pay my respects to her, and she actually dropped me a curtsy like a peasant woman in a play. And they took my key from me, and the policeman opens the door, and he and me go upstairs and into all the rooms, and when we come to this one, she was getting so excited as to be hardly intelligible. Stopping herself with a jerk, she fumbled nervously with her apron, while I asked myself how she could have been at work in this house the day before, without my knowing it. Suddenly I remembered that I was ill in the morning and busy in the afternoon at the orphan asylum, and somewhat relieved at finding so excellent an excuse for my ignorance. I looked up to see if the detective had noticed anything odd in this woman's behavior. Presumably he had, but having more experience than myself with the susceptibility of ignorant persons, in the presence of danger and distress, he attached less importance to it than I did, for which I was secretly glad, without exactly knowing my reasons for being so. "'You will be wanted as a witness by the coroner's jury,' he now remarked to her, looking as if he were addressing the piece of china he was turning over in his hand. "'Now no nonsense,' he protested, as she commenced to tremble and plead. "'You were the first one to see this dead woman, and you must be on hand to say so. "'As I cannot tell you when the inquest will be, you had better stay around till the coroner comes. "'He'll be here soon. You and this other woman, too.' "'By other woman he meant me, Miss Butterworth, of colonial ancestry, "'and no inconsiderable importance in the social world.' But though I did not relish this careless association of myself with this poor scrub-woman, I was careful to show no displeasure, for I reasoned that as witnesses we were equal before the law, and that it was solely in this light he regarded us. There was something in the manner of both these gentlemen which convinced me that while my presence was considered desirable in the house, it was not especially wanted in the room." I was therefore moving reluctantly away, when I felt a slight but peremptory touch on my arm, and turning saw the detective at my side, still studying his piece of china. He was, as I have said, of portly build and benevolent aspect, a fatherly-looking man, 
and not at all the person one would likely to associate with the police. Yet he could take the lead very naturally, and when he spoke I felt bound to answer him. "'Will you be so good, madam, as to relate over again what you saw from your window last night? I am likely to have charge of this matter, and would be pleased to hear all you may have to say concerning it. My name is Butterworth, I politely intimated, and my name is Grice. A detective? The same. You must think this matter very serious, I ventured. Death by violence is always serious. You must regard this death as something more than an accident, I mean. His smile seemed to say, You will not know today how I regard it. And you will not know today what I think of it either, was my inward rejoinder. But I said nothing aloud, for the man was seventy-five if he was a day, and I had been taught respect for age, and have practiced the same for fifty years and more. I must have shown what was passing in my mind, and he must have seen it reflected on the polished surface of the porcelain he was contemplating, for his lips showed the shadow of a smile sufficiently sarcastic for me to see that he was far from being as easy-natured as his countenance indicated come come said he there is the coroner now say what you have to say like the straightforward honest woman you appear i don't like compliments i snapped out indeed they have always been obnoxious to me as if there was any merit in being honest and straightforward or any distinction in being so told. I am Miss Butterworth, and not in the habit of being spoken to, as if I were a simple countrywoman, I objected. But I will repeat what I saw last night, as it is no secret, and the telling of it won't hurt me and may help you. Accordingly I went over the whole story, and was much more loquacious than I had intended to be, his manner was so insinuating and his inquiries so pertinent. But one topic we both failed to broach, and that was the peculiar manner of the scrubwoman. Perhaps it had not struck him as peculiar, and perhaps it should not have struck me as so. But in the silence which was preserved on the subject, I felt I had acquired an advantage over him, which might lead to consequences of no small importance. Would I have felt thus, or congratulated myself quite so much upon my fancied superiority, if I had known he was the man who managed the Leavenworth case, and who, in his early years, had experienced that very wonderful adventure on the staircase of the heart's delight? Perhaps I would, for though I have had no adventures, I feel capable of them, and as for any peculiar acumen he may have shown in his long and eventful career, why that is a quality which others may share with him, as I hope to be able to prove before finishing these pages. End of chapter 2